0: This week on Dig Me Out. What was with the 90s and Crows? Like the movie Crow and the Black Crows and Counting Crows. Counting Crows and. Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow. Tim and Jay Review Play with Love by Crow.
1: Welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Menichi and joining me, as always, my trusty, reliable co-host Jason Siak. Jason, Jay, you're like the uh, you're like the K car of, uh, of <laughs> hosts. Oh,
0: jeez! I was afraid you were gonna say Steed, but then you said K car. oh boy.
1: I, I probably should go with Volvo. You're like the Volvo of hosts. Reliable K
0: car. You could rebadge me as anything. Yeah. He's a Renault. He's a Chrysler. He's a Dodge.
1: He's a Plymouth. He's a Plymouth. He's an AMC Eagle. <laughs> there you
0: go. That, I, I, I'd like to be an AMC Eagle.
1: You know, it occurred to me, uh, to completely derail this whole podcast, I forgot the fact that Chrysler had bought Jeep, that Jeep just doesn't, wasn't always a part of Chrysler. Uh, but they were their own separate... Yeah, they were their own separate company. Chrysler got a hold of them, and they are what they are now. But that yeah, happened they're... with the, happened with a number of companies, uh, car companies. I was doing some reading over the weekend, uh, history of auto manufacturers and whatnot, and uh, forgot. You know, Pontiac started out as an independent car company, not as a part of GM.
0: Right. Somebody just wrote, uh, who was it, investment company, just wrote something apparently about uh, A4C, a foresee another huge consolidation in auto manufacturers coming soon. So even more of what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm
0: not sure how much that I buy into or where they're going with that, but uh, could happen again, I guess.
1: Yeah. Let's get this back on track. Let's get to our requested review that we have this week. Requested, requested review. review. From a car enthusiast. How about tying that together? Mr. Gavin oh. Reed in Australia. Oh, yeah. He uh, he is fond of the uh, motorized vehicle, as we are, and he's also fond of a band called Crow and their 1998 album, Play With Love. Now, Jay, were you familiar with the band Crow prior to Gavin introducing us to this?
0: Well, I want to say I was just because that is like... I know we said this in the past, but that probably wins the award for most stereotypically nineties band name. <laughs> what was with the nineties and crows? Like the movie Crow and the Black Crows the and The Counting Crows. Counting Crows and Cheryl Crow. Cheryl Crow. <laughs> was there some more crows?
1: Uh, there probably um, were.
0: So yeah, I feel like I, I've heard of this band, but no,
1: I, I really haven't. Well there's there's probably a reason why, which is because there's almost no information on this band. Uh, if you go to Amazon.com and you look up their album, they have zero reviews on Amazon.com, which is almost impossible to do.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. Uh, they don't have a page on allmusic.com. They don't exist on allmusic.com.
0: Huh. that's hard to do.
1: They have a small Wikipedia page, which is where I pulled most of the information uh, about them off of. And I couldn't find really any reviews of this record. I found hmm. like the re- the record label that released it was a small indie in Australia and like one or two brief mentions. But when you try to Google Crow, believe it or not, uh, you come up with a lot of information about Crows.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. And then when you add mm. Play With Love, the name of the album, or even the year of its release, 1998, you still really don't get any information. So this might be up there with one of the top five most obscure and... Um, Least uh, internet-friendly band names that we have encountered. So, there you go. But I did find out some information, Jay. Let's piece this together. And I can uh, put it together in the history of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: The band was founded in 1986 in Sydney, Australia, by Peter Fenton on guitars and vocals. Peter's brother John on drums, and Peter Archer on lead guitar. So you have two Peters.
0: Why weren't they called the Peters?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And then the original bass player was Paul Gormack, but he he quit the band, or left the band, just prior to their recording of their first album. So their first album was actually called uh, My Kind of Pain. It was released... In 1993, it was recorded in 1992 in Chicago, Illinois, with Steve Albini. Uh, And it was released, yeah, it was released on Half a Cow Records in February 93. After those recording sessions, drummer John Fenton left the band. It was briefly replaced by Tina Stevens, and then uh, after that, Andy Marks. And Andy Marks played drums um, on there. Next record, which was released on Ruart, which is a larger local label in Sydney, Australia, was uh, 1995. Liloing, Liloing was the name of the album. At that point, Andy Marks, the drummer, left the band. He was replaced by Richard Andrew. Also, uh, the following year, excuse me, the following year, Peter Archer, founding uh, member, lead guitarist, left the band and moved to Melbourne to start a family and pursue his own songwriting career. The band filled in his position with two people, uh, Chris Abrams and Michael Christie, both on keyboards. And they appear on the album, which we're reviewing, Play With Love, which was released in 1998. The band separated shortly after that. However, in early 2000, they started rehearsing again for some shows and in june of 2010 they released their album arcane on nonzero records and it re- and that album features all four original members peter archer on guitar and vocals peter fenton on guitar and vocals jim wolf on bass and well second bass player jim wolf and then john fenton on drums and they're still i guess randomly playing shows and then they also uh, some of the members have side projects that they work on as well. Wait
0: so, a so how could a band that's been around that long and still be active have nothing?
1: Well, for this for this particular album, I could not find any information. Oh, uh, Okay, but also when I li- looked them up just in general on AllMusic, there was basically nothing there. It,
0: being that they work with Steve Alpini, you think he, that would make it impossible?
1: Yeah, you think so just. By working with him, you automatically get a page on, on all music. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, huh. our band has a page on all music, right? It's horribly wrong, but it's there, yeah. it's lots of misinformation. Uh, but what are you gonna do? So, if you want to suggest an album for us to review, feel free to visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. If your album is obscure, please feel free to send us some information along with. That (laughs) album for that request. We did get some Facebook feedback, and it was, in fact, from Gavin Reed. He said, really looking forward to this. These guys went pretty much undiscovered, and I think they are back together. Probably only one song getting picked up on the radio from being huge or at least seminal. I don't remember the album cover being so menacing. Um, I don't know if the album cover is menacing per se, but it has a, a darkness to it. We'll get into the sense of darkness or menacing as we get into this record, let's do a uh, What I Liked, What I Didn't Like about this record, Jay. Uh, I'm going to start out with you. Tell me one thing. What was your... What was the first thing that you liked when you listened to this record?
0: Bass tone. Yeah. Track one. Really cool, like, grindy kind of bass, but also very melodic
1: mm-hmm. at least for that
0: track. Um, I just... And overall, I liked the sound of the band. I like the combination of instruments for the most part. Um, heavy good effects on the guitars and a lot of delays; they're a little bit more distant and atmospheric. But you know, the bass would typically have this tone through most of the record. Sometimes it would get a little bit cleaner. So, I mean, just sonically, I, I was I was drawn into the band pretty quickly.
1: I'm gonna agree with you there. that, that the bass tone that opens up on a, a, a broken machine along with the, like there's some cool synth stuff that goes on reminding mm. me a lot of, and this is going to come up often, a lot of girls against boys. Yeah. Um, even the way he sings reminds me of that band. Um, just has that like sort of dark, gravelly, um, deep. Uh, I think you referred to um, when we were going to the, The girls against boys album um sort of a drunken lounge singer sort of yeah Uh, or maybe that was me i don't remember but it, it has that it's in that same sort of space um and it's this song in particular there's a couple other songs that really get into that same space as well but this song in particular reminded me a lot of that band and that sort of evil darkness uh that sounds it's like the uh soundtrack i think you said i know what you said you said it was like soundtrack for the apocalypse that's what it was
0: okay take that
1: yeah you can take that
0: uh, yeah I th- I, that band came to mind quite a bit i think there potential could be could be uh you know potentially a more melodic version of that band i guess mm-hmm. or a m- more melodic take on that style of, of of rock i think there's times where the vocal uh goes in some other directions on the record yep um to varying levels of success um sometimes i like it and sometimes not so much i I guess i I do like when he is more vocally pronounced and sort of up front or in the case of like broken machine where it's you know there's there's a melody there and it's in there but it's not like so ridiculously distant or affected that you can't even tell what's going on which there's a couple tracks where that happens
1: Let me give you one of the things that I liked about this band. You know, when I talked about the sort of the history of the band, uh, I mentioned that um, the original guitar player, Peter Archer, had left and they added two keyboard players, Chris Abrams and Michael Christie. And I think that, you know, I don't know what those earlier albums sound like. And I don't know if there's just a lack of keyboards on those records. And if it was more guitar driven or whatnot, I can only go based on this record. But I, I like what they add, what they bring. They're using a lot of different sounds. Sometimes there's like an organ, like I mentioned in the first track, there's this kind of cool synth part going on. Um, there's some very uh, orchestral sounding piano parts where they like sweep up and down the uh, the keyboard in sort of dramatic ways. There's a lot of cool little parts that aren't necessarily in the forefront, but you can hear them sort of mixed into the background, whether it's a like a Hammond organ sound or a uh, some sort of synth or or whatever, but they always add like some interesting textures to the tracks that um I think if this band I think if you took those out and you did it with another guitar might sound, I don't know, a little more generic. I think Mm. I think them adding those keyboard parts makes makes it sound a little more distinct.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It, um, I guess I can segue this into what I don't like, though. I think there is some interesting use of keyboards on here, p- piano uh, specifically. Uh, there's also some parts where the music gets almost, like, jazzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't great And then for them. And then when you come combine in the keyboard that's into some of those parts or near some of those parts it just it takes on a whole other mood that i just don't think works on these guys at all so adam uh, animal husbandry you know kind of starts with this jazzy guitar intro which is really weird uh, i'm trying to see my notes here there's a couple others where they uh it's on venus they kind of do like a jazz guitar samba thing there's like a
1: samba going on yeah and it,
0: it, it kind of like that's the point in the record where uh, I started to hear, like, a ton of, like, alternative Brit British music influences, like, buried down deep inside this band. So, like, when I, when I heard that song, I'm like, oh, this kind of sounds like pulp. Mm-hmm. Like, I could hear them doing this, but, like, with way, like, better lyrics, you know, which would help pull that kind of thing off. And just a, just a different attitude that would make a song like that work that this band just didn't have. And then as I gave it another listen, I, I was hearing more and more of like influences of bands like that, or at least similarities, whether they're influenced or not, um, to the point where I felt like the whole middle of the record and towards the end, basically from track say six uh, almost out through twelve, I heard a lot of like middle era Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Um, which I didn't really, I, w- I wouldn't have thought that, you know, based on the first half of the record, um, that that was going to happen. And then those songs, that piano, there's at the times it's it's interesting, but there's other times where it's just like, it's an identity problem for this band, you know, like where are they, where are they going? What are they trying to do here? You know, it's, it's borderline experimental, but then it's also borderline like i don't know jazzy alternative music or something i don't it's just like or or a, a Radiohead light or some yeah. kind of like brit pop light or just all of these other kinds of things that i, I just don't think this band's particularly good at pulling off so you- Struggle with that that aspect of the band, and, and in general, the keyboard things. I think that there's times so I agree where it's it's totally a unique element and makes them sound different, and can do some pretty cool stuff. And then there's other parts where it just adds to the already confusing identity what this band's trying to be.
1: Yeah, and and also moving into the what I, I didn't necessarily like. I think I, I can hear where you're coming from with regards to the the keyboard part. I think those are what save it in what I think are a lot of really weak songs, yeah. where they don't really ever find a chorus. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of like "Head On, Feet Off," um, which is a little bit of more of a. It's a different um, space for them because it's a distorted vocal and it's up tempo. Um, there's not really uh, like a there's nothing really to grab onto. It's just a sort of like a collection of parts yeah. and. Um, that happens quite a bit they 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 go to a like a three four or six eight depending on however you want to you know count it off Uh, but they go to this swing beat a lot on the record and anybody who's ever played that beat knows once you get into it it's really hard to get out of it and like figure out something else to do (laughs) yeah so once you get into that swing it's like unless you can come up with something you're if you play that for four and a half minutes that's gonna get real boring Now, I will give them credit, because they do keep the songs relatively tight for the most part. There's only, you know, all these songs are under four minutes, except for three of them. And two of them are pretty close. The one that goes well over is track seven, Whatever Does Connect Us, which is really annoying. Um, Sounds like a bad attempt at like a Nick Cave song combined with a Muse B-side Uh, It's just this Loungy spoken word part With some weirdness And then there's these Like backwards You know Parts And it just did. It's uh, That That specter of Nick Cave I don't know how much Nick Cave you've listened to Jay but um, It hangs over a lot Of this record Mm. Like Very dark Foreboding Singing songs about Misconduct I would say It would be a word I would use But bad behavior And you know that that sort of not that they're copying his whole like attitude and 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 uh vocal delivery or anything like that but just like i kept thinking you know they're both from australia so it just kept sort of popping in my head um and you mentioned the radiohead stuff which makes sense because this is 97 but that like second tier radiohead just reminds me of like that like early sort of like muse B sides when they're sort of like working out where they're going as a band,
0: yeah, and they don't have the songwriting chops that either of those two bands have. So, Uh, you know, you end up with a song like Bobby Pin, which I think works in a lot of ways, and in other ways, it doesn't. So, I like the sound of that song, I like the verse, I like that. I like actually like the intro, which Mm -hmm. a lot of these songs that have intros on them I don't like. And they do this thing where they, you know, they reprise the intro, but And the intro is kind of like this build,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: it builds all this tension, but it literally goes nowhere. Right. So halfway through the song, I'm like, wait a minute, they're not going anywhere with this. Like, They just keep playing this part and it's like a build to nothing. doodle over it at one part and then at one point and then they I think what you were saying about the swing thing like they don't know how to get out of it like they create a part in uh, with a particular kind of dynamic that they just don't know how to from a songwriting standpoint pivot out of you hear it in uh, press on let go
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's got this bluesy kind of swagger that's kind of nice and then out of nowhere they go into this like um, this weird like stomp like they totally change up the rhythm and it gets real noisy and uh disjointed and uh, from you know some standpoint i'm like okay you know you just that's one way to deal with it like you just almost do like a progressive rock kind of like you know tempo shifts time signature change right just going to something completely different you know you just force it but that part i think i would like it better if it actually had some kind of resolve to it like it made it to uh, a really compelling chorus but it doesn't you know they sort of they do the pivot and i and i buy into it but they just don't have the follow through on a lot of this stuff so you kind of just end up with i think in most cases you know an intro verse then they go back to the intro and then they kind of stumble through some semblance of some kind of chorus and then they go back to the verse it doesn't sound from a songwriting standpoint you know, very well developed at all. Um, I think from a sound standpoint, they've got some cool stuff going on. They just don't have yeah. the material ready to kind of wrap it around.
1: Yeah. And then when you get towards the end of the record, they, they actually sort of pick up the tempo a little bit and yeah. sort of middling sort of mid tempo stuff in the middle. Plagiarize has a kind of a Nirvana early incesticide bleached sort of Nirvana sound um with more guided by or not guided by voices girls against boys yeah um, influence and, and i like uh, that
0: on that song too that and i agree with those comparisons I, I also just like that i think it's the only song on the record where the vocal is like right up front and right mm-hmm. a, like immediately there it was just a refreshing to not sit through you know a minute and a half intro before you hear a vocal and also not have the vocal like you know pushed far back in the mix
1: and then that, that song sort of pairs well with the last song, Throw Away, which is a, actually it's a nice change of pace in that it is a uh, the shortest song on the record, and it's the last song, and there's no stupid track after it, um, and it's up-tempo, which most bands mm-hmm. in the 90s, when they were getting to track 12, were doing their seven-minute long, you know, slow song. So I appreciated that, and it's, yeah I mean, it is kind of a, a throwaway, feel- but it is a decent short little rock song
0: yeah i thought it was um probably one of the better written songs on the the record like just in terms Mm. of you know maybe this uh, i'm not quite sure if this band is trying to write a pop format or not you know and at least in this song you're like okay this i get what they're doing here like it's fairly predictable but it's well done um and some of the other stuff where they're they don't fully commit to being experimental and they don't fully commit to writing a pop song. And you're like, all right, what are you doing here? Like you're just wandering in this no man's land. Um, that song is, you know, it's concise. It's, it makes sense. The dynamics they try to, you know, that they, they attempt and they actually are pretty successful, you know, that they pull it down a little bit in the chorus and it makes sense why they do that. And, you know, kind of go somewhere. And so I, w- I would like this record to have more material like that.
1: Yeah, uh and it's interesting that Gavin had said that they were, you know, one song away from being huge if the if it got picked up by radio, but I don't really hear this as a radio band unless they completely overhauled the songwriting. Because there's just I don't know where your pop hook is in terms yeah. of any of these songs. Now, you know, you don't necessarily need that in nineteen ninety four, but ninety seven I think you kinda do. I don't think you're getting on the radio sounding like this in
0: 1997. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's nothing on this record that maybe throw away. I don't know, but there's nothing on this record I can hear for that time period, having a strong enough hook to, to work. I mean, like I said a couple of times already, you know, they have a, a they have a, a unique enough sound and, Interesting enough sound that if they stumbled into some material, (laughs) you know, somewhere, uh, you know, they probably it's not that the sound of the band isn't, you know, relevant for this time period, it's just Mm -hmm. the type of music, the just not the type of the the songwriting is just not up to par of what I would think, at least in the U.S. Now, maybe Australian radio at that time was a little bit different, but at least in the U.S., there's not enough here. No, even with the Radiohead type stuff on the record, you know you could obviously that would have worked because you know Radiohead's stuff worked a couple years before, and then there was a ton of bands after that it worked for. They just do it without the sense of songwriting,
1: right? And it, you can tell that they're up, you know trying to get there. If you take a song like Track Three, Hate Need, which is it's a slower song, it's okay, and then when they get to the chorus, they kind of elevate the song. They, yeah. they take it into a different take to take it to a higher level but it's just the vocal's not very interesting. Yeah. Like the music rises up and the vocal's just not there to sort of match it. Yeah. Um, whereas I think a, you know a, a guy like Tom York he at that time of say the Bens knew how to make that chorus really soar Um, and unfortunately this band doesn't quite have that as a know a, t- a tool in their kit um, yep. which is not necessarily a bad thing i mean if you're keeping the music really interesting on every song yep they're not necessarily doing that
0: no they do like you mentioned earlier they do make the, the good call of keeping this stuff pretty concise so i could see um, spending a little bit of time with this you know connecting with it and and you know actually kind of enjoying quite a bit um, just based on the length of the songs. You know, you're not in for a, well, there's one six-minute song, but you're not in for a bunch of five- and six-minute songs. No. Well, for the most part, you're done in three-and-a-half minutes or, you know, three minutes. So they go about it that way in terms of uh, being brief and concise, but, uh yeah, it's just the songwriting is not within that sp- <laughs> those small time frames is not as uh, strong as it could be.
1: So Jay, if you were to rate this record, were the album better EP, decent single? Where is "Play with Love" by Crow?
0: Uh, I'm at an EP. I have a "Broken Machine," "Bobby Pin," "Plagiarized," "Throwaway." Um, I could probably throw on something like "Press On," "Let Go," and uh, you know, I, I tend to like the stuff that uh, was more in the vein of. I guess uh, Girls Against Boys. And yeah, I like a little bit of the, you know, the Radiohead melodrama, but uh, just when they touch on it, like combining that with the Girls Against Boys is kind of an interesting, you know, mix to yeah. go about trying to pull off. So, uh, yeah, I'm at about four or five songs.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm about there with you. I'm at three strong songs, and then I could probably. Uh, add one or two more as uh you know towards the end of that EP but uh a worthy album i i cannot abide so we're going to have to go with uh, an EP here unfortunately Gavin's that might break Gavin's streak i think we had quite a few records that we uh we really liked in terms of giving a worthy uh worthy album too so we'll have to uh have to come back with a with a sure winner next time.
0: Everybody uh, strikes out every now and then.
1: That's true. This one this is more of a foul tip. Uh this is this is a uh one that it has some potential. It has some elements. Not quite as cohesive or as um doesn't come together. Let's put it that way. It doesn't come together yeah. the way it should.
0: I gotta say I was pretty excited when I put on the first track. You know, yes. as that first song kicks in, I thought You know, I was going to be in for something I really was going to enjoy. And then, you know, right with track two, that guitar intro on the the second track, I'm thinking, what in the world? (laughs) Well, it's almost a blues riff. Like, it's like a Stevie
1: Ray Vaughan riff. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you get to track four, you're just completely lost. You're like, there's a, what is this samba? (laughs) This just turned into a Beck record. (laughs) Yeah am with you. So that's a couple of uh, better EPs for myself and Jay on Crow's Play With Love. If you have an opinion on this record, please leave us some feedback on our Facebook page or over at digmeoutpodcast.com on our discuss uh, thread. Of course, if you like what you heard, you can leave us some positive feedback over at our iTunes page. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast, checking us out, uh, whether it's on uh, Radio I O, Stitcher, uh, through our iTunes or Podbean, streaming or or download. We uh, greatly appreciate it and want to recommend that you uh, head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com dot com for our weekly uh, posts that you can enjoy, our news of the week, our previews, and what do we call them on uh, uh, pre. Preview Friday previews and um, the Monday videos of the bands that we're going to be reviewing. So I don't even remember if th- this one is either a live. Uh, this has got to be a live performance. I don't. I can't think. I can't remember if this band actually had a, a video to go along with this with this record. But, but sometimes the live videos are even better than the videos. If you get a little time capsule from the late or mid nineties of these bands, which is pretty interesting. So uh, I think that's it. We are out. We'll be back again next week with a very special episode. You'll have to tune in to find out what that's going to be about of Dig Me Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages.